You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Episode 68 of the podcast to be named later. I'm Chris Willis, and I'm again joined tonight by my good friend, Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing? What's up, Chris? Hey, buddy. Yeah, um, we're getting close, right? It's coming. Uh, we're at the end of, close to the end of January. Um, you know, you can always tell when baseball season is coming, when football season is wrapping up, and, and we're obviously pretty deep into the NFL playoffs. College football is done, so um, that means baseball's coming. So, But yeah, man, it's good to be on with you. Yeah, no doubt. And and Braves Fest is this weekend, which is kind of it's kind of what I use uh, since I won't be in Florida for when the team reports. But Braves Fest kind of kicks off. It's the reminder that hey, you know, baseball's baseball's back. It's baseball's here, and uh, Braves Fest is Saturday, and I'll be down there, and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, we got a few things we want to talk about tonight. You know, still not a lot has happened as far in the way of news of late, but we do have we do have a few things to talk about. And uh, one of my favorite things of the offseason season is uh the zip annual zips projections daniel dan Simborski at fangraphs does these every year and um you know i what i've done here i pulled out a few a few that i find i found interesting and i want i thought we'd talk about them tonight and i mean there's really only one place to start and and that's at the top with ronald acuna jr who ended up with one of the best zips projections of all time Obviously, coming off a, a monster, just a monster season in 2023, unanimous MVP. You know, his zip projection is pretty good. But, you know, something I was wondering about is, you know, Cunha was so good last year. And I know he's still young and, you know, he underperformed his metrics somehow. But, you know, when you look at that, a season like that where he he just did it all, you know, runs scored, batting average, uh, stolen bases, you know, the advanced metrics, uh, whatever you want about it, 40-70, can you reasonably expect him to come anywhere close to those numbers again this year? And, and would it be a disappointment if, he's, if he doesn't? You know, it's a fascinating question. It, it is incredibly unfair to expect – a seven-win season out of anybody. I don't care who it is. I mean, it could be prime Mike Trout. You know, it doesn't... To expect that out of somebody is, uh, is you know, it, it's extremely unrealistic. And I say that if he's healthy, you know, health is always the, is always the catch. But if he's healthy, I kind of expect it. I kind of expect him to do it again. Because like you said... I mean, he underperformed his metrics. There was nothing crazy in in his batted ball profile that said he just got crazy lucky or, you know, there's some stuff that's due for regression. Like, it could be better. Like, there is a real, 
I wrote an article about this right after the season was over, but there's a like there's a very real world scenario where like he goes 50-50 next year or it's like 60-60. I mean, I, I've said this a couple times on the show, but he led the league in barreled outs. I mean, he easily could have had another 15 home runs if he, you know, if he'd had a little better luck on barreled balls. And, you know, if he I think especially if he gets his ground ball rate, you know, down a little bit, it was it was a he ran a pretty high ground ball rate for a lot of the season and that hurt his power numbers a little bit. Um, if he, you know, if he gets that back under control, you know, the strikeouts are just the thing that I, I still can't get over. The fact that he cut his strikeout rate in half, you know, just randomly in the middle of his career, in the middle of his prime, he just cuts his strikeout rate in half. He doesn't lose any power. He didn't sacrifice any walks or any homers. He just cut his strikeout rate in half. I mean, that's the, that's the bananas part. That's the part that doesn't make any sense. That's what makes him him you know one of one in terms of position players in in the league right now so but to answer your question i it would be unfair to be disappointed if he didn't do it but i'm kind of there if he's healthy i I kind of expect him to put up another seven eight win season and maybe set another record you know numbers we've never seen before i I think it's reasonable i mean it it does it doesn't it's not reasonable, you know, when you're comparing to everybody else. But when you look at the fact that he, you mentioned he underperformed his metrics, he didn't just underperform them either. I mean, he had a 428 weighted on base average versus a 463 expected weighted on base average. I mean, that's a huge gap as as where it is. I mean, I think the most surprising thing to me about his season last year, and you said it, I mean, it's the strikeout rate. You know, he dropped, a, what, a little bit over 11%. Hitting, I mean, I, I, I could have believed, if you'd have told me he was going to go 40-40 or, you know, 40-60, I could have believed it. If you'd have told me he was going to hit 337, I don't know that I would have believed that. You know, not, not because um, – and strike out fewer than a hundred times, you know, because that just wasn't what we saw from him. Even when he was, even before the knee injury, I mean, he was still, you know, he was going to have a good run, a good batting average out there. But you know, to to, to hit up in that three thirty, nearly three forty mark, uh, the on base percentage has always been there. You know, it's not fair, honestly. But I mean, it's it's crazy to think that if he has a thirty thirty season, there's probably going to be some people out there disappointed. You know, if that's all, if that's all he does, but you know, just a couple more things. I'm going to write about this, uh, because I, I've had it on the back burner now for a week or so. Uh, but his 2023 season, if you strip out the de- defensive component of, uh, of war, and it, this is all on baseball reference, that was his 2023 season was the best offensive season in franchise history. Now, you know, let that sink in. That's better than Hank Aaron. That's better than Chipper Jones. It's better than Freddie Freeman. That's better Andrew Jones. Anybody else. Best offensive season. You know, if you, if you look at everything, it was the fifth best in franchise history. You know, the thing is with him, if he could somehow just improve that that defensive number, you know, at metric. I mean, you're looking at a nine-win, ten-win season as a possibility. You know, and I don't think – I think with in the way he athletic as he is – you know, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. No, I mean, you know, I think with the knee injury coming back from the knee injury, I think his defense was probably going to be the thing that comes last because it's, you know, it's how he got hurt. He got hurt playing defense. He got hurt going back on a ball. You could tell even last year, even, you know, 100% recovered. Um, mentally, he's still a little hesitant, you know, whether he's coming in or, or going out on balls. 
it wasn't just like full throttle. Like you could tell there were times where he, he measured it. Um, he pulled up, you know, times where he could have gotten a ball. I'm, I am interested to see how his defense looks in 2024, another year removed. Um, you know, I do think he's got more in the tank in terms of, you know, some of the range issues that he had. He also had some bad luck last year on defense. He had like four or five sun balls where he just lost a ball in the sun. And like, there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. You can't, you know, you can't stare at the sun and find a baseball in it. Like if it happens to you, it's just bad luck, but it seemed like it happened to him a bunch. And, you know, if you just take those out and you get killed for those on defensive metrics, cause that just looks like a pop fly that you didn't catch and you just, you get killed for those. Um, and so, you know, even if you just take those out, he could have a much better defensive year. And like you said, you add that to his offense, even if it doesn't improve that, you know, even if it runs the same or even slightly less, you know, with, yeah, with better defensive numbers, he could easily run a 9-10 win season next year. And if he if he steps on the offense more, he could run an 11 or 12 win season. I mean, like, we're talking like prime Barry Bonds kind of season. Like, it's it's everything is on the table for Ronald Acuna Jr. Every, any, any kind of season you've ever seen from any great player is in range for him next year. And that's what's exciting is that, you know, any year we start with him, while he's in his prime, we could see the greatest season in the history of the sport from any player from him because that's how good he is. That's the kind of talent we're talking about. That's the exciting part is that there is literally no there is no limit to what he can do over a full season of baseball. And if you told me right now we're going to get to the end of this year and Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to win another MVP and have a 10-win a season or more, I'd, I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all. I wouldn't be, like, stunned. It would just be like, yeah, that – that tracks as something that probably, you know, should happen. So, yeah, it, it's going to be, you know, as long as he stays healthy, just, you know, the good Lord, just give him health for the next, I don't know how many years, decade plus. And, and I, I just, I want to see what this kid can do, you know, if he gets health for, for another 10 years or so. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and you look like his, his season last year was just so amazing. And I don't know you and I talked about it ad nauseum and people are probably tired of hearing about it, but you know, it was just, it was like every week we were just finding another stat, you know, and it might be something as simple as run scored. And then, you know, we get to the end of the season and there's just a few weeks left and you look and he's going to get over 200 hits. I mean, and it was just things we weren't talking about all the time, but the counting stats that he accumulated was just, it was just unreal. And then, uh, you know, to see the zips projection and I mean, really and truly, you know, I think he, it leaves room, it leaves room for him to, to blow past it with as crazy as that, uh, as crazy as that sounds. So I just wanted to start there because just felt like, again, we're going to be looking back at that 2023 season and, and just, you know, kind of marveling at, at how good he is. And I mean, typically, I mean, you could say the same thing, Matt Olson, you know, 54 home runs last year, he overperformed his metrics a little bit. Um, you know, I don't think anybody would be shocked if Matt Olson, you know, had a 35-40 homer season in 2024. But when you look at Acuna and you really dig in, you know, there's room for improvement, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to start there. Yeah, and just a final point there. With Olson, I would feel comfortable saying when we look back on his career, 2023 will be the peak. Like, I, I – I have a hard time believing Olsen is ever going to top what he did last year with, you know, the franchise record in home runs. He had a six, six or six and a half win season, something like that off the top of my head. 
with Acuna, like we might just be scratching the surface in terms of what he can do and the kind of seasons he puts up. With with Olsen, I would be more inclined to say 2023 is probably, if not his peak, I would say it's very close to his peak. I'd be very surprised if he was able to to do better over a full season than he did last year. I know you've got this. Uh, you've got something you snuck in the rundown here uh, for me, but you know a guy like Austin Riley didn't have what you would consider a exceptional season it kind of got lost in the uh in the uh wash between Acuna and, and Matt Olson. it was still a very good season you know but that's when you, you've got two guys turning in you know some of the best seasons in, in the franchise's history you kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit all right I want to I want to I want to ask you this question because I saw this question like two days ago um and I, when I saw the question, I was like, no, this is nonsense. Like, this is just, you know, this is just off-season talk that just, you know, comes up out of nowhere and, and doesn't really deserve much um, mer- much credence. But I started actually looking into the numbers a little bit. And so I'm going to ask you this question. I'm just going to get your initial reaction. And then we'll we'll dive in a little deeper to the numbers. But here's the question. Is Austin Riley right now the best third baseman in baseball? What do you think? I mean, you know, looking at it, and the only reason I'm going to – I have been looking at this because I'm getting ready for fantasy baseball season a little bit. I would probably still say Jose Ramirez at the moment, but I think there's a very good chance that Austin Riley passes him this year uh, because Riley's a little bit younger. Gunnar Henderson's a guy you got to keep an eye on. Uh, I think, you know, I thought he was really good last year, and I think there's a lot more to unlock there. But I don't think people really think about Austin Riley in that in that term of being, you know, one of the best at his position. I thought his defensive improvement last year probably puts him in the conversation. Um, but I don't think you could go wrong, really. I mean, with Austin Riley or Jose Ramirez, as far as that goes, I mean, third base is not quite what it used to be. Uh, you know, with uh, Nolan Arenado kind of falling off a little bit, uh, Alex Bregman, Manny Machado fell off a little bit, was hurt a little bit. But yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I would probably, I mean, still, I mean, if I had to rank them, I would rather have Austin Riley because he's, you know, he's locked up, uh, you know, when you consider the contract and everything. I think, you know, just if you're just one on one, you know, you could, you, you, there's probably not a wrong answer. Um, but yeah, it's pretty wild that he's even, he's even in the conversation, I think. Okay. So I'm going to give you the numbers. So this is what I've been, I saw, again, I saw this question like two days ago. I thought it was absurd because, you know, even though last year was probably a little bit lower of a year for the group overall, third base has been pretty loaded since Austin's been in the league, but over the last three years, 2021, 2022, 2023, in terms of F war, the the top five third basemen in baseball are Jose Ramirez, Austin Riley, Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, Rafael Devers. All right. So in terms of F war, those are the top five over the last three years. Austin Riley is at fifteen point six war over those three years. Only trails Jose Ramirez. So the in terms of war, the only guy above Austin Riley over the last three years is Jose Ramirez, like you, the guy that you just said. And that's when I heard this question, that's the first name that popped into my head. I was like, there's no way you can say Austin Riley is better than 
Jose Ramirez. And I, I'm talking about an actual argument that he is the best. I'm not talking about like, well, he's a brave, so of course he's the best third. But like, I mean, like a legitimate argument that he's the best third baseman in baseball. I think you can make the case, and here's why. If you just look at the numbers, Jose Ramirez is one, Austin Riley's two, and that's probably a fair ranking going into 2024. But Jose Ramirez is 31, and Austin Riley is 26. There's a five-year gap, and that's what I didn't fully realize. Like the Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, that whole class of third basemen, they're all on the wrong side of 30. They're like 33, 32, 31, all of them. Austin Riley is 26. Like he's just now entering where these guys were five years ago. And just think like how good Austin Riley is right now versus how good all those guys were five years ago. And when you look at it in that lens, I think you can make the argument that Austin Riley is the best third baseman in baseball. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's that outlandish. And I think in a couple of years, uh, like we're talking about Riley being the younger guy, you know, chasing Jose Ramirez right now. And you could probably put them neck and neck this year, maybe next year. You know, Riley is the, you know, completely uh, takes it out of the equation. And I think Gunnar Henderson soon will become in uh, part of that conversation a little bit. But I think that would surprise a lot of people if, you know, those numbers you just quoted out over the last three years, I think a lot of people would be surprised to see Austin Riley, you know, right there in that session. And, uh, you know, and I mean, the Braves, you know, obviously – think he's uh, a centerpiece. I mean, they gave him the largest contract in franchise history. They've never given anybody that much money. And 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 by the way, like offensively, like obviously War takes into account defense and Austin gets dinged for his defense probably more than most of these guys. But like offensively, Riley has been the best third baseman in baseball. I mean, he's got the highest slugging. He's got the highest WRC+. Plus. He's higher than Ramirez, higher than Machado, higher than Arenado, higher than Devers, higher than Bregman, Chapman. I mean, it is it is a you know it's funny because I watch him every day, and even I even he's gone kind of under the radar uh, to me. Like I had not fully realized how 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 close he is to the very best third baseman in baseball to the point where. I would still put Jose Ramirez one. I think it's disrespectful not to, but like you add in the age factor, I I, I think it's a it's a much closer race than I initially thought when I first heard the question. Yeah, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. But uh, if we revisit this at the end of the season, that Austin Riley's the best, especially if he can. You know, he kind of had a little bit of a defensive renaissance last year. He had probably had his best season defensively per the metrics. Um, you know, and, it, and it'll be interesting to see if he can continue that or if, you know, it falls back a little bit. You know, defensive metrics I don't completely trust, especially with now with all the shift restrictions uh, that were put in there. So I, I think, you know, there's going to – we need a little larger sample to kind of let them adjust to see that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, I mean, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people, honestly, because I, I think – there was a, a segment of um, Braves fans that kind of felt like he had a disappointing season last year. And then you look at his numbers and he's 37 homers, 127 weighted runs created plus five war, uh, five wins, 117 runs scored. <laughs> you know, I mean, he had a heck of a season. Nobody talked yeah. about it because of the two guys that were, uh, that he had to compete with in his own lineup. Yeah. And over the last three years, he's got 108 home runs. 
the next closest guy in that group that I was just going with is Devers at 98. So he's got 10 more home runs than the next closest guy. The uh, one reason that Jose Ramirez, I think, is still one is, and, th- and this I didn't even realize, but Jose Ramirez has stolen 75 bases over the last three years. Yeah. Yeah. He runs, he runs a lot. 28 stone steals last year. Yeah. So he's still, still a very athletic guy. Like he's not, like he's not on the downside yet. And not, and that's why I, st- I think he's probably still one. Yeah. I agree. That's, that's probably, I mean, like I said, if you just were picking, you know, one for this year, you know, you, I don't think there's a wrong answer. You'd, you'd probably give it to Ramirez. But like I said, the fact that Riley's in that conversation, uh, is is pretty impressive, and and like you said, has been in that conversation now for a couple of seasons. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wrote earlier this week. Uh, uh, I looked at where Ronald uh, Cunha was on all the Braves franchise record lists. Uh, it's pretty amazing to look at. If you if you missed that, go find that at the site. I could probably do the same thing for Austin Riley because by the time Riley's contract is up, he's going to be all over those leaderboards. I mean, he's already there. Uh, probably not to the degree Acuna is right now, but, you know, Riley's here for the long haul. And, you know, and I, I mean, he's been impressive in his own right. So, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that if, um, you know, I don't know what I would have said just uh, two weeks ago um, uh, last year, you know, if you had told me that. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to look at that. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about it is it, it does come against the backdrop of, of both Arenado and Machado having down years last year, right? Like both those guys, even though they're 32, 33, like that's still – either one of those guys could put up a, a nine-win season next year and and then they're right back in the – you know, it, it, it is a little bit, you know, you had some guys that are normally at the top of the list who had some down years uh, last year. So it's a very fluid thing, but – he is much closer to the top of the list than I initially gave him credit for. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of brace fans that probably don't realize that. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh, talk about some uh, question marks on the roster. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called the future of work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, what can you say enough about this Braves offense? I mean, they they were one of the uh, historically great last year. Coming into this season, they appear look to be strong again. Uh, you know, if you look at the projections, they're rated probably as the the best team in baseball, and that's even after the Dodgers have spent a billion dollars. Uh, you know, this off season now projections don't mean everything, but as I'm fixing to point you at, point out right here. Uh, there's three key members of this lineup whose projections I would say are conservative at best. I think they're fair. I think all of them are fair. But you can see a situation where, you know, these three players might actually out outperform them. 
you know, and which will make the Braves numbers even better, you know, in the long run if if that happens. But you know, you and I can't have a podcast without talking about Marcelo Zuna, and uh, you know, this has kind of been the discussion in and around the site all off season. You know, he had the big, huge bounce back year. You know, you and I were talking about uh, the possibility of him getting cut. And then one weekend, and then he gets hot in Miami and never stopped hitting, you know, and 40 homer season, three, 3.3 F war. You know, I don't think I didn't have that on my bingo card when what he had like three hits the entire month of April and uh, a large part of May. So, but you know, if you look at the zips projections, they're very conservative. I think that's fair because of, uh, the two seasons he had, uh, before, uh, before last year, uh, after signing that extension. What do you say about Marcelo Zuna? I mean, I'm not comfortable right now trying to tell you what he might do in 2024 because I really don't have any idea, and it seems like a wide range of outcomes. Yeah, he is truly an enigma as a player because, like with any other player, the first thing you would do if you're worried about how real a season is is you go look at the, you know, you go look at the raw data, you go look at the 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 you know the metrics the the stat cast metrics you look at you know kind of the the raw skill you know the numbers behind the numbers and those kind of those lend to be a little bit more truthful the problem with Ozuna is he's always had really strong raw data numbers like he's always hit the ball really hard his expected numbers are always really good the problem is even when he was you know the worst player in baseball for two years like his expected numbers were good So, you know, you can take that one of two ways. You can say, well, you know, if you just go by the expected stat, he should have at least a solid year next year. But you can also take it as even when he has these expected numbers, he can still put up complete duds of a season. And so he's just a real, I mean, he's just, he's the hardest player, one of the hardest players I've ever seen to try to project and predict. And, you know, the, the, the projection systems are going to take the last three years, which was, of course, last year, which was amazing, and then two years prior to that were just god awful, and then average them together essentially, and you you know you spit out kind of the projections that he has for twenty twenty four, which are solid but not great. Like that's how I would probably you know classify his twenty twenty four projections, and that's all you can do because, I mean, there's just no other way to do. It he lives at the extreme ends of the outcome spectrum. And how do you project that guy? How do I mean, I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, maybe it's a confidence thing and maybe last year gives him all the confidence in the world. And he comes back in 2024 and repeats and puts up a, a 140 WRC plus like he did last year. And you know, that contract all of a sudden doesn't look as bad as it did, you know, uh, 18 months ago. Um, and then maybe it goes the other way and he looks like the guy from 2021 all over again. He's the worst player in baseball. And, you know, come June, we're having the same conversation about how long do you stick with Marcelo Zuna at the DH spot? I have no idea. I, I legitimately have no, I, no one does. He is the, he is one of the hardest players I've ever seen in terms of projecting what he's going to do because we have seen the extreme ends of, of the outcome spectrum with him. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> You just got you just got to hold on, and we'll all find out together, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've went this whole off season, you know, kind of looking at it. And I'm like, you know, I guess you know you're hoping for somewhere between 25 and 30 homers, and you're you're happy if you get uh you know if you get more than that. You know, I do think it's interesting because I mean, if he has a season like he had last year, there's a good chance he's going to be a Brave again next uh, in 2025. It's a good chance that club option gets picked up yep. if he's closer to these projections. Um, which are 253, 326, 467 with 25 homers, 112 OPS plus, I think there's a good chance that, um, you know, he may not, it may not get picked up. And, you know, they go further. It's kind of a similar situation. It would be kind of a similar situation that uh, as they did this year with Eddie Rosario. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, if he struggles, you know, I don't know how bad he would have to struggle to lose lose his spot in the lineup. The Braves don't really have anybody. You know, you'd probably see start to see the double catcher look, you know, with Travis Darno. You know, they're not really they're not really they're really kind of set up counting on Marcelo Zuna, you know, in the, to be in the middle of that lineup somewhere. So, I think he's the of, of everybody on this list, he is the hardest one to peg because it can be I mean we've seen he's he's had four seasons in Atlanta albeit the 2020 season was the uh, shortened season you know he's got two seasons where you know his expected uh, weighted on base was over 400 and then he's got two seasons where you know it was still good but you know the production production was just simply wasn't there so it's just hard to figure out exactly what you're going to get from it yeah I was looking this up the <laughs> So his four, if you just go by WRC+, plus, which is kind of the, the catch-all offensive metric that I use. So his four seasons in Atlanta, 2020, he has a 178, which is of like MVP level. 2021, he has a 74, which is like doesn't even need to be starting level. 2022 has an 89, which is, again, uh, just unbelievably bad for a DH. And then 2023, he's back up to a 140. So, I mean, what's he going to do? I mean, who knows? There's no tell. You could tell me any number that he's going to hit next year, and I would believe it. Yeah, 115 weighted runs created plus for his career. That's over 1,300 games. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's that's going to be one we're going to have to watch all season. Uh, another guy to kind of watch is uh, Orlando Arcia, I believe. And, you know, uh, put it, had a perfectly good season last year. I was a little surprised, honestly. He got off such a great start. You know, hit over 300 for a long time. Uh, the power, 17 home runs, 2.3 war, but he really cooled off down the stretch. And he ended up uh, at, with a 99 weighted runs created plus. So, you know, I mean, he's right there at league average, which I think if you'd have asked the Braves before the season, if it, if you'd have told them that he was going to be a league average bat, they would have definitely taken it with the, the defense he has at shortstop. But at the same time, he got off to such a great start, you know, you can look at that 99 uh, and think, hmm, you know, he kind of really cool tailed off in the second half. He slightly overperformed his metrics. Uh, he's got a very conservative uh, zips projection, 252, 311, 400, 14 homers, 91 OPS plus, about one and a half F4. You know, I'll be honest, I don't think they care. I mean, he's only making $2 million. He's under contract through 2025 with a club option for 2026. As long as he's anywhere close to league average and does still has good defense at shortstop, the Braves probably don't care. But at the same time, you know, he's another guy that you're you're just kind of looking at and you're, you, you really want to know. It's hard to predict what you might get from him. Yeah. I mean, I think the Braves mostly care about the – 
the defense. He was a plus four uh, outs above average at shortstop last year. And, you know, he hits at the very bottom of the lineup, or at least he's going to in, in 2024. So as long as he catches the ball at short, and and obviously the Braves don't really have anybody else that's going to play shortstop right now anyway, so he's going to have a very long leash. Yeah, he's another guy. It's it's much less of an impact in term, you know, versus Ozuna, who's going to bat in the middle of the order, right? I mean, the kind of season Arcia has matters a lot less to some extent just because of what, you know, the role he's being expected to play. The one interesting thing I'll say about shortstop is, you know, if Alex was going to do kind of his like surprise move where he goes and gets a guy that maybe we weren't thinking they were going to target, I thought it might be shortstop where, you know, kind of like Murphy last year where they already had a, a catcher, but they wanted to go get their guy for the future and he was available now. And and so they went and made the deal. I thought maybe this offseason, and technically the offseason is not over yet, but I don't think it's going to happen. But I thought maybe shortstop might be the position where they do kind of a similar thing and kind of target somebody they think they can go get and and, and kind of become the guy. Because the Braves don't really have, I mean, that's the one position, especially now with, with Kelnick, you know, on the roster and, and going to be in left field for the foreseeable future. Um, shortstop is the one position on the field where you don't really have a long-term answer. You're, you're still kind of using a stopgap. And I say that with all due respect to Orlando, but I think even he would admit he's not like the long-term answer at shortstop for the Braves. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in terms of what to expect from him, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's another guy where it, it could really be anything. It's just much less impactful for, um, yeah, what the Braves are expecting, or maybe more accurately, what the Braves are needing from him uh, next year. He could have a, a pretty bad season, and the Braves still have a a pretty fantastic year. Agreed, and and I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, this is an area that I was looking at that. You know, maybe we roll to the trade deadline if they want to add a bat. We know they tried to add a bat last year. I mean, I was talked about that, which is, sounds absurd considering, you know, the kind of offensive numbers they were putting up. But, you know, this would be an area that they could uh, almost improve. And, you know, RC is being paid like a utility player, a bench player. So, you know, he could slide into that role. He could play, you know, all over the infield if he needed him to. You know, if if it doesn't happen, the trade deadline, and it may not, you know, I think this, again, next offseason, they're going to have a lot of money coming off the books. Obviously, they got some question marks in the rotation. But, you know, that could be the at the point where we see them, you know, try to address the shortstop position because, like you said, uh, you know, Von Grissom's gone. Braden Shoemake's gone. You know, they've got some young guys that could potentially stick there, uh, you know, and, but they're they're really young and they're a long ways away. So we'll be interested to see. You know, again, though, I mean, like you said, offensively, I don't really know what to expect from Orlando. Uh, you know, he's he's exceeded my expectations uh, pretty, pretty tremendously. Uh, I wasn't real crazy about the idea of him being the everyday guy, but – you know, he put together a perfectly league average season at the plate and was great defensively, and that's about all this team can ask for. Uh, the last guy on this list is uh, is Jerry Kelenic. And, um, you know, I mean, I think all uh, – I don't even know how much you can even really look at the Zips projections or any projections for a guy like Kelenic just because, I mean, he's he's been up and down uh, in Seattle. He's got a, He's in a completely different situation now in Atlanta. He's going to play every day, uh, according to Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, you know, he's probably going to hit at the bottom of the order. But, you know, what 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 do you think is reasonable for a guy like Kellenick? 
Yeah, I, I, he's another tough one. Again, it's a it's much less impactful for the Braves overall what he does. But I mean, you know, the Braves have had a lot of luck unlocking you know, uh, offensive talent out of guys. Sean Murphy came over and had the best offseason of his career. Orlando Garcia did the same thing. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, even with the Braves, has had, you know, two of the best seasons of his career. Matt Olson just had the best season of his career. You know, uh, Darno hit a lot better with the Braves than he hit anywhere else. So the Braves have had some success getting guys in and, and really unlocking their potential offensively. So, I mean... I really wouldn't be surprised at all if he had the best year of his career. If he put up like a, I mean, if he puts if he puts up anything in triple digits in terms of WRC plus, you know, he's supposed to be a, a pretty good defender. He's got a good arm. Hitting at the bottom of the order, I mean, any yeah, like anything in triple digits would be fantastic. My guess is probably around league average, ninety somewhere between a ninety five and a one hundred five WRC plus. That's probably being a little pessimistic. He's definitely got more in the tank. We saw last year with Seattle before he got hurt that he can he can rake. I mean, he can he can really hit the ball when he gets going. And obviously, he was one of the top prospects in baseball not that long ago. So it wouldn't stun anybody. Um, yeah, he, it's a it's a tough one to predict. My guess is it's going to be. I would say it's going to be more close. You know, closer to league average offensive production this year. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was like in the one twenties or one thirties, um, you know, at any point in the year, he's got that kind of talent. He's, he's got elite talent and especially moving to, um, to SunTrust or Truist. Damn. I, 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 they've changed this ballpark so many times. I forget what they call it now. Truist, you know, it's a, it's a much better place for left-handers to hit versus where he came from in Seattle. You know, he can kind of aim at that chop house in right field and, and just wail away. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he had a really big offensive year. If I had to predict it right now, I would say it's going to be closer to league average. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's that's uh, that's perfectly fine for the Braves. You know, if he can go out there and play good defense in left field and, and be somewhere, just like Arcia, you know, just play good defense and be somewhere around league average, you're in good shape. Only time I think this would be a problem for Atlanta would be if all three of these players just struggled. You know, and then you know that offense, that lineup just becomes really top heavy in, in that, yeah. and that was one of their big strengths last year was because you know there really just wasn't anywhere to go uh, because the bottom of the order was so good. You know, they're all their own base, and then all of a sudden, you know, here comes Acuna, Albies, and and Olson, and and Riley. You know, with with people everywhere, and that's what they did so so well last year. So, you know, I think if one of these guys struggles, it's not it's not going to be that big of a deal, especially if RC or Kellenic play good defense. You know, if Ozuna struggles, then you know it probably doesn't matter that much. Uh, they don't really have a good. I don't think they really have a good solution you know, for that if, if if he does struggle. But, you know, it's interesting to see. Like I said, all as good as the Braves have been projected as a team, you know, when you look at these three these three projections, you could I could see I don't know if I could see RC I think Arcia could clear his projection. I don't know that Arcia could be I don't know that he'll hit uh two sixty four and hit more set and more than seventeen home runs like he did last year. Uh, but I could see Ozuna clearing his projection, and I could see Kellenic uh, clearing his, uh, which, again, makes this lineup just really scary. If I had to sum it up, I would say Arcia's playing time is is going to be mostly tied to his defense. If he, As long as he's playing good defense, the Braves are going to have a very long leash with him offensively. 
for Kelnick, it's going to be his offense. You know, as long as he's hitting the ball well, the Braves will live with just about anything in left. If he struggles with the bat, you know, maybe you look at some other veteran outfielders. And then with Ozuna, I think he's just going to have a long leash no matter what because we saw it last year. We've seen it the last three years. I mean, they're just going to they're going to wait it out because they know what happens if he gets hot. So I think RC is tied to defense. Kelnick's tied to offense, and and Ozuna's going to play no matter what. All right, good stuff. Let's uh let's take another break and then let's talk about the Hall of Fame. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hall of Fame voting uh, results were announced this week. We've got three new members with Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton gaining induction. I'll be honest with you. You know, I've always, I know we talked about the Hall of Fame last year. You, I remember you telling me, you know, it wasn't your favorite thing. I've always kind of been interested in it. I don't remember ever getting quite as aggravated about it as I did this year. Just I, maybe I just paid more attention to the to public voting and, and you know and the tracker and stuff. But I mean, I saw some weird. It, it still aggravates me. I, to me, I know a lot of people lament the Hall of Fame voting and and the process, but to me, it would be the highest honor of being a baseball writer. You know, I think once you've you've gained that Hall of Fame vote, and I don't think it's the easiest thing in the world, but at the same time, I see a lot of people that I don't think put a whole lot of effort into their votes. I saw a lot of Alex Rodriguez and, and Manny Ramirez votes, and that was the only two votes on the on a ballot. I saw one guy vote for seven. Seven guys dropped Andrew Jones and voted for Mark Burley. You know, no offense to Mark Burley, but at the same time, I don't look, I never looked at Mark Burley once and thought, you know, while he was playing and thought that guy was a Hall of Famer. And I think I think what irks me the most personally is when you look these guys up, you see who these trackers are and they're covering college football or college basketball. You know, they may have been baseball riders long enough to get their Hall of Fame vote, but they don't even cover the sport anymore. And yet they're voting, you know, for the highest honor. And I just don't, you know, it just doesn't make any much sense. And this is on the public ballots, you know. I guarantee it's even worse on those that don't, you know, don't make their ballots public. So I don't know what you thought about the uh, this Hall of Fame cycle this time, but you know, I'll be honest, I was I was probably more annoyed by it this time than I ever have been. Yeah, it was an odd class, honestly. You know, Joe Maurer was a an odd, you know, he was just an odd candidate because he had that very strange career where. Like if he had just gone another like five years at his peak, he would have been a no brainer, but his peak was so short that, you know, and catchers are always tough to, to value anyways, because there's inherent value that's tough to capture in any of the metrics. Adrian Beltre was the only like lock. I saw some weird Adrian Beltre hate. Like, I, I don't think people get like Adrian Beltre has more career home runs and more career RBIs than Chipper Jones. Like, like and this is a Braves podcast. We love Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones is a first ballot Hall of Fame. Like Adrian Beltre is in that class of player, and I, I saw some people like not sure that he should be, and I, I guess it's because he spent most of his career on the West Coast. You know, with uh, the Dodgers, the Seattle. Um, you know, he played in relative, and you know, if, if he had put all these numbers up in New York or Boston, 
you know, he would have, he would have been almost unanimous, but you know, he didn't play in those places. So I guess that's what it was. The one that was weird to me the most, and you, you might very much disagree with this. I don't know. I'll, I'll see what you think, but I don't know that I would pick Todd Helton. Like Todd Helton has 370 career homers as a first baseman who played in the steroid era in Colorado. He doesn't have 3000 hits. Like he didn't hit any of the metrics or the, the milestones that normally first base sluggers have to get to, to get enshrinement. You know, he, he's got a higher batting average than most of them. I don't care anything about batting average. I know a lot of people do, but if I'm honest, I, I think Adrian Beltre should have been, you know, obviously Beltre got in easily, but I think Beltre should have been close to unanimous. And I'm not sure. I don't know. I think Todd Helton would be more of in the, I think he's in just my very good player. I don't think he would be, I don't think Todd Helton would make my, if it, if I was king of the world, I don't think Todd Helton would make my hall of fame. If I'm being honest. Yeah, it was an interesting thing. And I actually wrote up a hypothetical ballot and I did vote for Todd Helton. But at the same time, I understand your, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying too, because I went back and forth on it, honestly. You know, I don't think he gets in at all if Larry Walker doesn't get in uh, a few years ago ahead of him. Uh, yeah, but you're I right. agree. You know, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you look at it, at the totality of, uh, of the career, you know the the big uh, the big numbers, the big milestones, aren't really there. You know he does have twenty five hundred hits, but you know didn't get to three thousand. And uh, you know I thought it was interesting uh, as far as as he got in. It seemed like he was going to get in. He was tracking. He really picked up uh, support over the last couple of years. Joe Maurer, I didn't really have that much of a problem with it, just because I did think it won for a stretch. It's almost my argument for Andrew Jones too. There was a stretch, a short stretch. It wasn't as long as what you would have hoped, but he was the best catcher in the game, you know. And that was that was in my opinion, he was the best catcher in the game at that time. And then he was probably the best player in the game, honestly. Yeah, yeah, he could have been. And uh, and then you know, he didn't fall off to the degree that Andrew did. You know, he was just more of a league average first baseman after he moved there. But you know, I wasn't I wasn't as bothered by him getting in. If he hadn't got in this year, he would have got in next year. I think he made it yep. by, what, four votes is all. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was interesting. Uh, you know, from a Brave standpoint, Billy Wagner, he missed it by five votes. He'll be in his 10th and, and final season next year. I expect him to get in. I was a little disappointed by Gary Sheffield, but I wasn't surprised. He ended up with 63.9%. You know, he was way higher on the public uh, the public ballot. He was just under the under the threshold. Uh, but, you know, those private ballots, those are more, probably more of your old school voters. A lot of people remember him uh, being tied to uh, Balco, of course, uh, at PDs. And then also, you know, he just wasn't. He wasn't the greatest, uh, the most enjoyable guy to uh, cover, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, from a, a standpoint. And uh, I do wonder, you know, I, I mean, he's got 500 home runs. I felt like, you know, the committee might, you know, he he probably gained an induction down the line. But I do wonder if, you know, they kind of made a stand against Barry Bonds and uh, Roger Clemens last year. And, you know, I know Sheffield's denied knowing anything about that uh you know the PD what and said he you know he quit using it as soon as he found out what it was but it'll be interesting to see if his peers kind of uh punish him for that you know but what do you think about Gary Sheffield I I remember Gary Sheffield as probably the mo- one of the most feared right-handed hitters of his time but you know he was 
a prickly prickly personality you know and uh, i mean he had some monster years for the braves there and uh but you know played for a lot of teams too and i don't think that helped him in the long run yeah my least my least favorite thing about hall of fame voting is is where we have to make it like per you know a personality like i don't give a crap what kind of person like i understand the people that cover the sport have to deal with these players every day and maybe if a guy is you know standoffish or doesn't want to answer reporters that rubs you. But like, if that's what you're basing your hall of fame vote on, like a guy's legacy, you know, because you didn't like his personality, that's incredibly lame. Uh, I am, I'm not a fan of that. I, I'll say this about Sheffield. I would, if, if it's me, I would put him in my hall of fame before I ever put somebody like Todd Helton in, in the hall of fame. I mean, there's no planet where Todd Helton was a more feared hitter than, than Gary Sheffield. Gary show. I agree with you. I think Sheffield, you know, he was kind of a superstar as I was really getting into baseball and learning about baseball. And obviously he played for the Braves and he was a, still a monster when he played for the Braves and he went to the Yankees and had some good years. Like, yeah, I would put Sheffield in the Hall of Fame. No problem. But I get I mean, I do think there's been some dis, disingenuous remarks about like, you know, I've seen people talk about like how baseball, how is it possible baseball doesn't have A-Rod and, and Manny and Sheffield in the hall of fame, like, come on, like everybody knows why these guys aren't, nobody's looking at these players like, huh, I wonder if this guy's got hall of fame, like credentials. Like, no, everybody knows A-Rod and Manny Ramirez and Barry Bonds and Gary, everybody knows those guys should be in the hall of fame, but you know, it's just how you feel. It's how you feel about steroids. I mean, that's, that's all it comes down to is how do you feel about steroids? How do you feel about failed tests? How do you feel about innuendo and, were you on this list? Were you not on this list? Like, there's nobody arguing against these guys' numbers that they aren't deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. It's just people have a serious issue with if they expect or suspected you of cheating or if you failed a test or, like in A-Rod's case, he actually had to serve a suspension, an 80-game suspension. Like, some people are just not going to vote you in. Like, it doesn't matter. You could have, you know, you could have a 1,000 homers. It doesn't matter. They're not going to vote you in. And, I, I've seen some disingenuous arguments that people are like, how, how is it possible Manny Ramirez is not in the hall? Well, I mean, come on. We all know why. It's not It's not a big secret. Right. I mean, he and he was another feared right-handed hitter, but, I mean, he was suspended twice. You know, and yeah. A-Rod, A-Rod had the full season uh, suspension, and that's where I drew the line. You know, I mean, it was if you, if you drew a suspension, then I, you know, I didn't vote. I, I wouldn't on my hypothetical ballot, which means nothing. You know, I wouldn't. I didn't vote for you. Um, and that's where that's where a lot of that's where a lot of people drew the line is like if you were ever suspended for steroid use, you you are not getting my vote. Like that, I saw a lot of people draw the line right there. Yeah, and I mean, and then you know, people will say, well, you know, they knew it was wrong. You know, it was illegal or whatever. But, you know, then again, I look and I see Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. He oversee, yeah. he oversaw this whole era. You know, they marketed the, uh, you know, they marketed uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa uh, as as far as they could. They wrote them as far as they could, you know, and, yeah. and there was no rules against it. No, neither one of them got the, you know, the suspension or anything. The league profited off of them. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. They're not. You know, and I don't know. It doesn't sit with me. It doesn't sit with me too well. But I, I don't. I understand though. If you're a hardline, one way or the other, you know, I think that's your opinion, uh, and and you're entitled to it, especially if you've 
put the time in to, uh, you know, be an actual Hall of Fame voter. You know, to wrap this thing up, though, let's talk about Andrew Jones. Andrew Andrew got a little bit of a bump again, 61.6%, but not nearly as big as what he got last year. Um, he, he had 58.1% last year. He gets three more cracks at it. I wasn't terribly surprised because he was only plus three in the in the public tracker. Typically, you know, that that's a good foreshadowing of uh where you're gonna come out because the the private vote usually is a lot more negative on on guys um like like Andrew. So I still think he gets in. I think he's uh you know, but it may take all three uh voting cycles now. Uh he's gonna at least be there in the conversation. Uh, but were you surprised that he didn't get it? He didn't get any bigger jump than what he did. Um, you know, with with the people that vote for this thing, I guess I really shouldn't be surprised with any outcome. You know, with Andrew, if they had kept the Hall of Fame as a extremely exclusive club, where only the very best of the best get in then I can make an argument that Andrew Jones does not deserve to be in there. Like I can make that if that's, if that's the standard that was kept for the hall of fame, then I can make an argument that Andrew doesn't belong. But once you start letting, and I I don't mean to rail on this guy, he's a good player, but like, like you compare Andrew Jones and Todd Helton, you're telling me Todd Helton was a better player than Andrew. Like he's a first baseman who didn't hit a lot of homers. Like Andrew was the best defensive center fielder in baseball for 10 years. I mean, once you once you lower the bar to the level they've lowered the bar, you have to put Andrew in. Like, you know, it's not so much is this guy a Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Famer, or isn't he in a vacuum? It's like where has the Hall of Fame been trending over the last few years? And it's been trending towards really kind of lowering the standards of what it takes to be in a Hall of Famer. A lot of it comes down to how nice a guy, like Todd Helton's an extremely nice guy. Everybody loved that guy, and so you know, he's in the Hall of Fame now. And if Todd Helton's in the Hall of Fame, then Andrew Jones has to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's just no, – that's kind of where I sit on it is I don't, I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know why Andrew has you – know, you know, I know he had the domestic violence arrest, and maybe a lot of people hold that against him. I don't know. I, I You'd have to ask them. But just on the numbers on the field, I don't see how – I don't see any world where Todd Helton is a, is a Hall of Famer and Andrew Jones isn't. Yeah, and I mean to go a step further, I mean a guy like Harold Baines, you know, who got who got put in on the committees. Uh, but if you look at the numbers uh, again, to me, he's the best defensive center fielder ever played the game. And if he, you know, if that's the case, then he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Is, is kind of the way I look at it. So you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens next year. Uh, you know, it, typically sometimes guys don't get a huge bump like this, and then you know, still, still. Uh, still track towards induction and we'll have to see how it how it happens um how it shakes out so but uh yeah i mean that was our hall of fame thing i was a little disappointed gary sheffield i wasn't surprised too much by andrew billy wagner he he in my opinion billy needs to be in there uh, i don't, i think we skipped over him a minute ago but i think he'll get in next year if he'll, you're he'll, put, def- he'll definitely yeah. get in next year. i mean if you're gonna put closers in billy wagner's got to be in there you know, and yes, and they're exactly. part of the game. They're part of today's game. If you're going to do that, you got to put them in there. Yeah, he's a he. He's another great example of if you're going to proceed the way you've proceeded, then you have to put Billy Wagner in. Like if there was a world where they never put relievers in, then I can make the argument Billy Wagner doesn't belong. 
But once you put relievers in, you have to put Billy Wagner. Like that's just that's the standard you've set. Agreed. Well, I think that's uh that covered everything. Anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? Nope. End of January. Um we got like three weeks, I think, until like uh, pitchers and catchers. Still like half the free agent market is available, by the way. Like a, a team you could have a sixty win team right now and you could if you just went and signed all the available free agents, you could probably win. 85 games. I mean, there, it's crazy how many guys are still out there to be signed, but you know, that's baseball's off season for you, but no, I'm just excited. The season's coming. I, I, I'm, I get this, I get the itch about this time of year um, to, to really dump, uh, to jump back into baseball. So I'm excited. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up. Uh, you guys keep stay uh, tuned to the site. I'll be at Braves Fest. We'll have a bunch of content coming up over the next couple of weeks to get us to get us to pitchers and catchers report. And, and uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. More to do's, less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all in one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.